Hello and welcome to Dear Franny, the podcast of uncommon conversations about love. I'm your host, Francesca Hoagie. I'm back with an interview, with a conversation. I'm very excited to share this episode with you. I spoke to Victoria Brooks, and uh, you guys all know this is an adult show. I think there's a little explicit, no, there is. There's a little explicit rating uh, warning next to these episodes. And uh, just in case you started listening to this episode and you did not realize that, um, I'm just going to point that out because this, we're going to, this episode prominently features features the F word, guys. It's okay. It's going to be okay. It's just a word. My guest is Victoria Brooks, who is a writer and researcher in sexual ethics. And she wrote a book called Fucking Law, The Search for Her Sexual Ethics, which was published in June for Zero Books. Victoria has written various academic, media, and fictional pieces on the connection between women's sexuality, queerness, ethics, law, and philosophy. Victoria is currently working on a project on research ethics in sexuality work, a project on queering consent, and a novel exploring the future of sexual ethics. So there you go. She wrote a book called Fucking Law. We talk all about it. We talk about a lot of things around consent and the ethics of sex and gender, and I am excited for you guys to hear this episode. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Victoria. Victoria Brooks, thank you and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. (laughs) I'm very excited to talk to you, and I'm really interested to hear you, well, first of all, your whole career is very interesting and everything that you're doing is interesting. And as a recovering lawyer (laughs) and one time law student, I'm like, there are no law professors Mm -hmm. like you in my law school. (laughs) Yeah, I hear that quite often. But your book, Fucking Law. It's a good title, isn't it? It's quite unusual. (laughs) Okay, so your book, Fucking Law, The Search for Her Sexual Ethics, what is that about? Um, yeah, that's a good question. The book, it, it comes out of what was my PhD thesis journey. And my PhD, surprisingly, is in law, but it really wasn't kind of about law. It was it was more about sex and it was more about the process of researching sex within legal academia. And my project was about sex on the beach. So it was it involved me going to the south of France to a, a nudist beach, but it's not only a nudist beach, but also a public sex beach. Um, and I, what I wanted to, to look at was kind of how, what the rules of the space are in terms of how people end up having sex there um, and kind of how it feels to be part of that space, whether it's, it's kind of a, a good space for a woman to be in or not really. So in order to do that project, I needed to approach my university ethics committee for permission to go there. And that was a really interesting process that then opened up all kinds of different dimensions because, of course, they were really worried in all sorts of ways about me going there. Yeah, I can imagine. (laughs) So many liability concerns. And then also, I guess... Um, and I'm sorry, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I, I guess I'm just wondering why sex on the beach? What was it about that activity that, what was it about it that was academically interesting to you? That's a really good question. So why it was interesting to me was because I'd been to this particular beach before. And whilst I'm somebody who really enjoys sex, I also found it a really troubling space to be in in that I I never really felt particularly comfortable 
or at ease with it. But at the same time, I was kind of like, well, surely you should love it there. <laughs> so it was quite confusing for me to think about this. And it also fascinated me. I wanted to, to try and find out about why it fascinated me and why it made me so uncomfortable. So what was your answer? What was uncomfortable about it? I think it was because because the beach is kind of, it's billed as a really kind of ethically, I guess, easy space in the sense that everyone knows the codes really well. So it's kind of like the women are supposedly in charge of what goes on sexually at the beach. They're, they're the ones in charge. So therefore it's kind of billed as a really sexually free space for women. So a nice space for women to be in where they, where they can express themselves. I didn't feel that way. I felt like it's quite scary in a way mm, um, mm-hmm. and also I felt like I wasn't convinced I wasn't convinced that everyone was having the good time that that was kind of being made out I mean some people probably were and that's great but I, I know that I wasn't and I was pretty sure that my feelings were probably shared by others interesting so when you said that as someone who really likes sex you were expecting to enjoy this experience of being on the beach on this public sex beach and I am someone who also really enjoys sex and the idea of, of going to a public sex beach isn't at all appealing to me which is which is not a judgment at all but I guess what was it about I guess okay first of all I'm sure that most people who are listening to this podcast like didn't even know there was such a thing as a public sex beach like I think you know like nude beaches like everyone knows that there are nude beaches but like outside of the south of France is it common? Like, how many public sex beaches are there in the world? Do you know? Um, I, I don't know for sure, but th- there aren't many. Yeah. The only reason that I discovered the particular beach in the south of France, and, and I guess it is, it is quite a, it's a big one in the sense that there's like thousands of people who go there in like the peak summer period, which is, you know, sort of July, August time. And I guess that is a real kind of hub and it's 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 a beach that lots of communities within the kind of the swingers community. So people who enjoy sort of kind of libertine sexual lifestyle, they, they kind of know about it. And there are a few other smaller beaches within Europe. Okay. Other than those, I'm, I'm actually not familiar with many of the same size. My guess is that there aren't, or maybe somewhere, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I've yet to discover them. And to be honest, I'm not that interested in going to another. <laughs> okay, okay. So I okay. So I stopped your story. I interrupted your story. Okay, so you went to this beach. It wasn't, it wasn't enjoyable. It didn't feel like a safe space for you as a woman. And that led you to want to research the ethics of sex, of public sex, or what was it in your academic mind? You're like, hmm, I don't, this, this is an uncomfortable experience for me. And I want to get to the bottom of why is that, was that sort of the question? Yeah. So there's two sort of connected things. Firstly, I knew that my institution was really uncomfortable with me going there. And I also knew that my, my lover at the time was really uncomfortable with me going there. And the interesting... Did you, did you go there by yourself? I did, yeah. So my lover at the time was a, was a man, um, and he was a, a philosopher. So he was quite kind of like senior in academic community. And I was really interested, like, I mean, at the time it was really a horrible experience, but reflecting on it... Oh no! <laughs> it, reflecting on it, it was, it was really interesting to see how both the institution and he had kind of similar 
concerns about me going there in a way so the institution were really concerned about my personal safety but of course that quite a gendered concern as well would they ask the same question of a man i'm, I'm not sure no probably not but <laughs> yeah. um <laughs> yeah probably not i would be worried about my safety too yeah yeah were you sure. worried about your safety i mean you said it was scary yeah no i was yeah. I, I was and and i should have been but the reason the institution were worried about my safety was not because they were worried about me or worried about supporting me in my research, which I thought was really necessary. Because if you've got a space where women are supposed to be free to have to express themselves sexually, and yet it kind of and they're worried that I'm not going to be safe within it, then that kind of speaks to there being a real problem to look at. I was kind of interested in how they kind of were very concerned in a, a really financial kind of legal way about my safety so it was more about if i was in trouble it would be about them getting sued or some kind of <laughs> this just reminds me of a little tangent is that i had a health and safety person come and ask me about my trip as a like a procedure <laughs> and the questions oh my god <laughs> <laughs> the questions that i got asked were really funny so they were about me um, oh my god staying... you are bold victoria <laughs> I can imagine that conversation is not a conversation I want to have with some random university official. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> I wasn't looking forward to it, but in the end, it was very banal because it was just he just asked me if I would wear sunscreen on the beach, stay hydrated on the plane. <laughs> so, <laughs> so nothing about, you know, staying safe. You know, if you did end up in a situation, what would you do? Or... If you had sex, what would are you gonna stay safe? Like there was nothing like really. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, that would have been quite cringe anyway. <laughs> I gotta say, I, that's like it's it's very um, stereotypically British. Like I'm I'm like envisioning this like very buttoned up official <laughs> who has like a checklist, and it's like these are the appropriate subjects to ask about your. That's exactly what it was. Excursion to study public sex on a beach, sunscreen. <laughs> Bingo. Headwear? <laughs> Protective eyewear? Yeah, yeah, an umbrella. Make sure you have that. <laughs> yeah, that is on the money. That is exactly the conversation. Oh my God. There's some, hopefully, there's a comedy writer listening to this and they can do something with that. <laughs> oh, I hope so. Oh, it would be brilliant as a play, I'm sure. It would be so funny. Yeah, so that, that's, that's kind of, that's very, I guess, representative of the institutional kind of response. But it was also sort of, I guess also really worried that their reputation would be in trouble as well because for instance if I went there and I had sex because obviously being an, an academic and a woman it's very difficult to think about me having sex I mean that's somehow outrageous yeah. to you know to an institution uh, for, for a woman to be talking about sex in the first place it's kind of radical or even a man. I mean, I think I went to University of Michigan Law School. It's a great school. I loved it there. But I'm just thinking like if anyone, <laughs> I don't care, like even if you were like a straight, you know, cis white male came to the university and said that they wanted to do this research, I think that I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm selling them short, but I don't think that they would be down with that. I think they'd be like, no, that's not, I don't, I, you know, so, I mean, so hats off to you, first of all, for being brave enough to pursue this academically and for making it happen because you did it and you did the research and you wrote the book. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah, here we are. And do you know what? I think I, I also, like my institution in the end, they could have been a lot worse. Oh, yeah. I mean, they could have said no way, never. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, they could have. So, I mean, in a way, also my exchanges with them formed part of the book, and and it was really, I guess, provocative to my academic process and my theoretical thinking and stuff to actually have their intervention because I was like, well, this is really illuminating as what the institutional response to yeah. sexuality is. Wow. Amazing. Okay, so you went back and then so when you went back to research, did you have sex or were you an objective researcher? Was it like, how did that work? Yeah, so the, so the whole the idea, the whole concept of objectivity was something that I found, I guess, in a way to be quite false, because I think it's quite difficult to go into a space that is full of, of sex and feel yeah. and be distant from it. I don't, I'm not sure that's possible. In fact, which I guess is is part of the problem with academia is that it has this myth about it that it's all about these people, kind of these transcendental thinkers that can separate themselves from the world and look at it and give their you know amazing opinion about it when actually you know everyone's just the same we're, we're human beings. So being part of that, you've got to kind of take account of of your personal response to where you are. I can't say that I was objective. Did I have sex? Not fully, but I was definitely participating within the sex that happened. It's interesting, isn't it, to, as to how you think about uh, what is sex? So that was something that I found really interesting. So I found that sometimes there'd be like these really erotic encounters where I'm just looking at somebody from across the beach. And that was really exciting or it would be sort of a minimal touching or something that was the extent of my participation but it kind of felt more than that i don't think i was objective well yeah and i think like you said it, i mean to be truly objective in even in a situation that is much less visceral and emotional and stimulating even in those situations you know it's really difficult to bring pure objectivity so what did you discover? What was your answer as to why it had been such an uncomfortable experience for you the first time that you went? I think the answer is, is kind of multifaceted. So the, the title of my book saying the search for her sexual ethics, um, a lot of people say, oh, well, did you find them then? <laughs> so kind of like not not entirely, no. Yeah, yeah, did you? <laughs> no, I didn't, I'm afraid. Like well, I kind of did, but I mean, the answer is that they are formed by the people and the space that are part of your encounter and your question about why I why it is that I felt uncomfortable I think um, and I'm pretty sure it is because of the way that consent operates within the space so this isn't something I actually go into to a massive depth in in the book basically I'm not sure that everybody who's there is there because they they actually want to be I feel like there's quite a slightly uncomfortable power dynamic that's part of the space. Mm -hmm. And I know, certainly from my point of view, and I don't, I don't want to generalise with my uh, across everybody with my experience, I know that the first time that I went there, um, I was there because I wanted to please somebody. Because I also thought, well, actually, well, if you love sex, then why wouldn't you? And you want to please this person, so, you know, <laughs> just get on with it. And, and I feel like... There's a lot going on within that space that's quite worrying. And I'm interested in understanding that a lot more. Um, I, I would like to talk to people in these situations a lot more. 
Whereas this time I kind of felt quite exhausted when I finished mm. my research trip. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I was like, oh, I really want to see like a person with their clothes on now. <laughs> I mean, I can imagine it gets a little... Okay, I have a very... This is a silly question, but it's also actually a very serious question. <laughs> is there any... <laughs> okay, so on a beach, we have lifeguards, right, that are saving people yeah. from drowning. Are there any kind of consent guards or sex guards or like that would be a like, fantastic idea like sex monitors like making sure that everyone is okay and i mean like is there any kind of or is it all just completely self-supervised because i feel like adults need some kind of <laughs> supervision in these circumstances yes they do, yes, they do. Do you know what? I love that idea so much <laughs> and i think that the space would be so much better for it i guess it's weird because it's not like i'm saying that that there's obvious kind of infringements to consent going on in that space all the time but at the same time i mean that they're kind of subtle i guess because we all know how subtle coercion and manipulation can be absolutely and how so the in england and wales the definition of consent is about freedom and, and choice and these are terms that are also constructed right and often by the law which is often by men and power and so on and i guess what i'm saying is that i'm not sure that every woman or everybody even is there necessarily freely yeah say. and that's really complicated mm -hmm. depending on whatever encounter it is and I feel like actually your, your idea about the, the consent guards or consent <laughs> lifeguards, like, that would change the dynamic quite a lot, I feel. It's an amazing idea. Oh. <laughs> no, no, there aren't. There aren't any. <laughs> so the title of the book, you know, Fucking Law, The Search for Her Ethics. When you say law, you know, you work at a law school, you're a law professor. You have a PhD in law. When you use the word law in this title, do you are, are you literally meaning laws around fucking or are you using law more in a sense to capture institutionalization and societal norms? Like what, tell me what you mean by the title. All of those things you just said, <laughs> you captured it well. Okay. <laughs> I mean law in, in, in the broadest possible sense. It's because... I, I want the title to be quite, quite kind of slippery, I guess, because yeah. um, when I say fucking law, I mean, firstly, fucking law is in laws that relate to fucking, be they mm -hmm. consent or, as you say, generally institutional rules around sex dynamics and norms and practices between people. But I also mean fucking law as in, like, what is law doing about this mm. and how ineffective actually is the law in... I guess, protecting people who need to be protected, okay. but also allowing sexual expression where it needs to be allowed. Uh -huh. Also, how crap is it at constructing identity as well and encouraging us to categorise people and behaviours and so on. When I talk about fucking law, I actually, it's also a, a term of frustration, but I think it's also a call to confront. Part of what I'm really concerned about doing is, is finding lots of creative ways that are actually very connected to sex on the ground, which is why I think fieldwork is so important and field research about sex is so important and asking questions about sex and talking about sex is so important when we start talking about law, because how can law possibly help us if it's so detached from sex? Yeah. 
Yeah. So in terms of the actual laws like that are enacted, um, I guess, in the UK where you where you live, are there any laws in particular regarding sex or sexuality or sexual expression that you are specifically addressing or challenging or is it more general because there are lots of laws that have implications in terms of sex yeah i think i think again sort of both it's that i mean law is just connected to sex all the time even when it doesn't talk about sex it's it's totally obsessed with like sex. what's an example of a law that people might not realize has sexual implications but actually does that's a good question. Um, I'm just thinking about family law now. There are lots of laws uh, and uh, regulations that relate to adultery, for instance. I guess this is one you probably would think has a relation to sex, to be fair. But there's also very strange rules about how if you are a straight couple, then it is possible for one of you to be adulterous, so to be divorced on the ground of adultery. But if you are a, a gay couple, um, then you can't. So you can't divorce on the ground of adultery because oh there's God. no provision <laughs> made for it. Um, this is really bizarre. Oh, I mean, you would, you would still be able to do it because yeah. you would do unreasonable behaviour or whatever. Mm-hmm. But but it's so strange how it's very clear that the the reason for this, so along with also um, uh, the fact that there's some very odd rules about what's extreme in terms of pornography. Um, and it just so happens to be lots of things that, that women might do. Um, so anything to do with women's sexuality tends to be categorised as extreme and therefore obscene. And I tend to think of it um, in terms of, you know, all these fusty old men sat in Parliament kind of not wanting to talk about sex <laughs> because it's kind of quite difficult yeah. um, for them to do that. Um, I guess in terms of the laws that, that particularly... Um, concern me. So it's anything that, that connects somehow to sex um, and also the law's reluctance to talk about sex. Um, but I guess the big one for me is consent as it relates to sexual offences because I, I feel like the legal framework and the legal process, and I think in America it's it's also a problem. It is. A, it's a big problem. Mm-hmm. The, the process is just not, it's just not good. Yep. And it's getting worse, I think, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but I feel like the, the, the kind of the, the, the definition of consent mm-hmm. perhaps needs some work um, in terms of the law because I think it, the threshold is just too low. Yeah. So we're just talking about agreement for sex. When uh, I think there are lots of there are various places. I know the Coalition for Consent is talking about enthusiastic agreement to sex would be a much better threshold rather than just agreement. So kind of examples yeah. like that, really. Gosh, it's hard. <laughs> is it in your thinking and in your research, and it's just in your personal opinion, is the concept of implied consent, like, is that a thing of the past? Like, do you think that consent needs to always be explicit? What's, how does that? Yeah, I think, I mean, in English law, consent can't be implied. Applied. But I mean, well, I suppose, it, I guess it could be. So it, it, in English law, it's to do with freedom and choice. So whether someone's free to make a choice and if they have capacity to make the choice under Section 74. Yeah. And then yeah. also on the other side, it's whether the person, so the offender, had reasonable belief in consent or not. And I think that kind of opens up um, quite a lot of problems <laughs> because you're looking at the offender's impression mm. of what happened rather than the victim's reality <laughs> of what happened. Um, and then you get these horrible courtroom instances of people just going through that trauma over again because 
the process is just not built for victims uh, as a kind of continuation of the abuse, really. So what I'm wondering and, and hoping is that perhaps kind of reconceptualising consent might make it better. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, I, it's so it's such a challenging thing because I just wish that your book is subtitled like it's the search for her ethics, but I want this to be a search for his ethics like you know it like it, it to me it, it feels like mm. so when most of the stories that you hear and that you know of about women being violated sexually these are it, it's not like it, it's really not gray it's not like oh i don't know and maybe and he could have known it no like c- like please like can we just use some common sense here that she was not able to consent clearly she wasn't consent like it's always you know to me it feels like so cut and dry but then also i know like there are some you know universities here in the states and probably the same thing in the uk you know where they piloted you know different things where there's literally like a script and if you're going to engage in any kind of sexual contact you have to like go through the script and everybody has to agree and then you can like you know engage and i'm like i don't think that's the answer either because first of all if someone's being coerced you can still be coerced in that context of being agree, you know, of like being forced to agree to some words or say yes, or I consent. I don't like that doesn't solve it because there's still people who could say I said it because I felt pressured to say it. And but I didn't really consent and it didn't feel good. And I do feel violated. I don't know. It's such a difficult thing to unpack. I just want I want the offenders to be the ones who have this ethical quest of understanding consent and boundaries. Like, do you know what I mean? It's it's just hard. It's a really difficult subject. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really difficult. And I guess a lot of my the, my journey with the book was also discovering how hard <laughs> it really is because I think I think for me, I mean my, my thinking changes so often, but I'm I'm pretty convinced that the power is a big problem. Mm-hmm. Particularly in the in the institutional context. Because I, I think there's a there's a lot of power and um, sort of will to have power over women and also suppression of, of women's sexuality and women's sexuality being such a what would you say, just a real kind of threatening force almost, even though it's not a threatening force. Yeah. But I guess it's felt as that because I guess a lot of power is dependent on being it it being kind of kept under wraps or that the, they're recommending in in universities in america I, I heard something about an app as well that you could like a consent app that both parties need to like say yes on the app and then, then that the, that's your consent dealt with i completely agree with you that, that that people can still be coerced into doing that so how does that help yeah or you can change your mind you know, you can consent before, and then once it's happening, you're like, oh, this is not what I signed up for. But then if the offender can say, oh, well, you said yes, so now... You're protecting the offender, basically. You're protecting the offender, because now I get to do whatever I want with you sexually, and you don't have a ground to stand on. Like, you know, so it's it's definitely challenging. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, I wonder what has been the response to the book? Um, maybe, what was your university's response to the book? <laughs> I mean, to be honest, it's been pretty it's been pretty positive on the whole. People have been really good. I mean, the most the reactions I've liked the most are ones where people have been really have found it really somehow liberating or somehow healing or um, there's something in it in my expression of this problem 
uh, that people have found really cathartic and has allowed them mm. to to kind of express something or acknowledge something themselves and and that has been the most I mean I guess moving but also exciting thing because I'm like okay great this is this is really good it's having a good impact in the world and also people who've really just enjoyed it or whatever so that's that's been great so reactions generally have been good you do get the odd one or two and I've got to say it's usually men (laughs) who find it difficult who are just like no this is just nonsense like there's nothing here just sort of denial of the problem or not I guess maybe not understanding it or not being ready to understand it which is why it's interesting when you say about oh I think it should be a search for his ethics and I guess that's that's true it'd be much nicer if if they were to undertake (laughs) some of the hard work yeah yeah I was also, before it came out, I was going through such a, a bit of a crisis with it because I was just like, oh my God, this because the book is so personal. Like, it's really deeply, radically personal. And, you know, I've used yeah. a lot of expressions of my sexuality, like... Yeah, you go there. I read, <laughs> I was like, she is bold. You went there. You really... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've done it proper. <laughs> you really did. It's really, uh, I mean, it's amazing. I don't have that level of, of boldness. And I'm not sure I do either because I was really terrified when I realized this is going out in the world and it's quite exposing, I guess, isn't it? Uh, yeah. And I was, I was worried. But I mean, as I say, people were so kind and so supportive about it. And just, yeah, and I, I was really encouraged by the reaction. But, but it is exposing, I guess, to write about your own sexuality. But I felt that it was so important to do it because otherwise there's this myth about academia that's carrying on this myth about law and sexuality actually functioning properly like all i think it really needs a personal attack kind of expose some of these things to look at how sexuality is constructed and how experiences are constructed and this kind of thing yeah so would you encourage other researchers out there to put themselves and their own sexuality in inside of their research Mm. Yeah, I guess I, I would if it's if you're researching sexuality and you want to kind of make a difference to the way that sexuality is is treated or constructed or um, mm-hmm. I, I guess you I think you've got to go there. I think you've got to be personal. I think it's it's very difficult to write about sexuality in a detached way. I understand when people do because I think there's something really nice about being detached from it because there's a because I guess you're a bit sheltered from it. But I've always found the process of being personal to be really productive because you really find out some things about the, the kind of wider social problems and wider legal problems. I mean, as it said, the, the personal is political, right? <laughs> so. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so speaking of that, so you had these experiences on this particular beach in the south of France. So what are, you know, one or two or even three of the takeaways from that experience that you see, you know, questions, either questions that are raised that you see having broad applicability, because like, for instance, most people who are listening to this podcast, I mean, there are probably a few who are like, where, where is this beach? And they're Googling it right now. And maybe they're booking a ticket to to the (laughs) south of France. (laughs) Um, But chances are like, most people are never going to go to this beach, right? No, most people are not going to have the experience of going to a public sex beach. So what are the 
the lessons that you learned there or the questions that were raised by your experience there that you see as really being applicable to everyone um, and the larger the larger context? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. Um, I think that the big one is it's got to be about um, the way we judge uh, people um, and in, and encounters mm. actually. So that's two things. So um, I think that the way something looks on the surface is by far is very far from 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 how it can can be experienced by the person people who are part of that encounter so i'm talking about so if you so at the beach i would often see very big basically orgies i guess with lots of people Mm -hmm. um, being part of one encounter and i guess when you look at it from the outside you're like yeah everyone's having a great time but it's infinitely more complex than that and I think that feeds into a broader concern about judgment and sexuality, because sexuality is one of these things, isn't it, that people love to judge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they love to get their two penny worth in and just really, yeah, that's right, mm-hmm. that's wrong. That person obviously wanted that. That's that's not like that person has nothing to complain about. They were obviously consenting, this kind of stuff. So I think that's one of the biggest things is that there's a lot going on underneath. Um, lots in terms of power dynamics, lots in terms of personal ethical complexities. Like you just don't know what's happening. Another thing is about how about judging people and sexualities as well. Um, because one of I guess actually one of the the good pleasant things about the beach was that I saw a bit of fluidity of sexuality. I mean I'm bisexual, so I saw quite a lot of, of bisexual women there. Um, fluidity between kind of sexualities in that sense so straight sex bisexual Mm -hmm. sex did you have out with the men did you see that sort of fluidity as well a bit not as much yeah but a bit um at those moments i I remember noting in my field diary because i was like oh my god this is (laughs) (laughs) so so you literally were like taking notes like while you were (laughs) yeah i realized that's quite a funny image isn't it (laughs) it really is it really is and i wonder were there people who were like what are you doing and were people into the fact that you were there as a researcher but also as a participant somewhat like or were they freaked out by it i mean it's so interesting. Um, so, so when I, I was taking notes, it was I like I had a little leather diary with me, and I wouldn't always be taking notes. I would just sort of jot them down occasionally, and I'd spend most of the time just sort of lying about, just watching people, really. Mm-hmm. So no one really knew that I was taking notes, and I wouldn't yeah. want people to know because I think that would make them really uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and also, it was really important that I was not going to identify anybody mm. during my mm-hmm. research, even in so any of the. And I, I do use quite a lot of quite evocative description during during my book, but I, I would I never identify a person or even a, a kind of time within which okay. this is happening because I would hate for anyone to feel uneasy mm-hmm. at all mm-hmm. about it. So the description is very much focused on my experience yeah. um, rather than, you know, in any way making comment about anybody. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And actually that also makes me think of like privacy issues. Like are people, do people have their phones out? Like I would imagine that that is frowned upon, but 
how do you stop people? Yeah, that's also, so there was a real, I don't think the encounter is, is written in my book, but it's in my thesis. So there was a time when there was an encounter happening with multiple people on the beach and somebody had their mm-hmm. phone out and was recording and you should have seen the response from everybody around so it was all in French so I'm not entirely sure what was being said but it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't very happy yeah did that phone end up in the ocean <laughs> um it didn't but but the man ended up having to leave because people were so angry with him because it was clearly a crucial part of the space functioning i.e that that the people would continue to to have sex on the beach on the condition that there was no recording or phones kind of allowed Mm. because people just don't want to be recording but you're right in the sense that how can you stop that i guess that yeah the space in that sense was very Mm self-regulatory so the same with people if they they would wear clothes so it's an it's a very strictly oh okay Um, and there are people who would just want to come and wear clothes and be more voyeuristic yes and it was yeah there was a really sort of militant kind of yeah see this is why you need a consent guard (laughs) or like a sex guard or a sex monitor yes a sex guard (laughs) and you could also do like have you been to um you know sometimes now when you go to events Mm -hmm. if it's a show and you know they want to make sure that there's no phones or there's no recordings whatever they have they'll lock up your phones for you have you have you had that? You know, they get or you get like the pouch that it's locked um, or something like that. I feel like they need that on the beach. <laughs> they need some yeah. kind of they need some kind of system to make sure that everybody's uh, recording devices are are put away. <laughs> this is so interesting. I mean, I could ask you a lot of questions about this for a really long time, but I definitely want to respect your time. Um, it is evening in London, and uh, <laughs> so I have a question. This is a question that I ask my guests, and you know, this is a podcast about. Well, it's about love. It's about sex. It's about a lot of things. But, um, you know, love is my focus. And I wonder if, first of all, two questions, I guess. One, did love play a part in your research or in your thinking about this book? Um, Yes. Um, And I'm actually really happy you asked that because although I spoke a lot about kind of sex in the book, there was some important parts where, particularly during my during my field work, so I would I would observe people and and I would write down that okay this couple seem really in love, so there was clear clearly some kind of intimacy between them, um, and I found those moments to be quite surprising, but also really obvious and really striking because it, I guess it's a space that's so built around sex and often it seems to be sex without intimacy because it seems to be quite casual sex or it seems to be sex with multiple partners at the same time so you think well how is it possible for there to be intimacy and love there and this is what I find really fascinating so sometimes I would think okay well actually there is this kind of really fleeting like impermanent kind of intimacy that happens on that beach but I also feel that it's kind of super kind of sort of underneath the surface and kind of rarely does it kind of appear but I want to also mention like from a personal perspective because at the time I felt like I was in love with somebody who with somebody who was actually being quite controlling of me whilst I was on the beach and I guess when I came out of that I actually thought well actually maybe love can be quite controlling but then Mm. in the end I don't actually think that that is actually love yeah that was that was gonna (laughs) that was gonna be my follow-up question to that yeah yeah I think love is the opposite of control, right? Yes, oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah it, it is acceptance and mm-hmm. it's freeing somebody to to make them feel really free and i suppose that at, at the time whilst i was at the beach i thought that i was in love i, I don't think i was i think i was under control <laughs> what I was. Mm. but yes there, there was there was definitely love in a kind of strange like um sort of transient form happening in that beach like little eruptions of it and occasionally i would see it and i would feel like like there's something there like there's something mm. good there what did that look like how did like when you were looking at a, a beach full of people who are all engaging in various sexual activities how did the in love people stand out it, it would it would not be usually whilst sex was happening but it, it would be little moments in between so you would mm. see two people just sort of lying next to each other talking and then laughing and smiling together in a way that they were obviously just sort of sharing something or it would be a group yeah. of people doing that it wasn't necessarily kind of a very sort of coupley thing it might be a group thing or people sort of just actually not having sex at all but actually just obviously really hot and then trying to cool themselves down in the sea um, <laughs> yeah or, or there was um, a, a really kind um, couple who came to my rescue after I'd had a really sort of difficult encounter on the beach and I felt like that was a really loving encounter because they kind of really rescued me and looked after me so yeah I think it does happen I feel like yeah it shows up in different ways yeah Yeah. exactly yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that's amazing okay so I have one I have one last question for you and this was the second part of my original question about love which is if you had a megaphone and it was loud enough for the whole world to hear and you could send out one message about love what would that be that's really hard (laughs) (laughs) i love the question though Um, (laughs) i I think it would be something like something something to do with love is not control and love is accepted yeah i mean i love that that's really that's a beautiful message because I, I, yeah, it's like you said, it's it's just it's just so important thing to realize. Mm-hmm. It took me a long time, but so important. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my goodness, Victoria, thank you so much. This conversation is so interesting. I'm like, just my my <laughs> my mind is just like racing right now. I have so many. I'm processing so many things. Can you please tell my listeners how they can stay in touch with you? I mean, I'm gonna link to your book and your website and your social media in the show notes. But I also know that you we we didn't even get into your erotica, your fiction writing. Yeah. But if there's if there's anything that you want to draw people's attention to make sure that they check out like please share that uh yeah so obviously my book uh fucking law the search for sexual ethics which you can you can buy in lots of places also i guess my website which has all the links to both my academic work uh, my media work and also um, some of my erotica which i absolutely love writing um and my website is it's victoriabrookswrites.co.uk and all of my stuff is accessible via social media anyway okay awesome thank you so much victoria thanks so much for having me (laughs) and thank you for doing this work it's very it's groundbreaking and it's important and um yeah so thank you thank you (laughs) okay 
And there you have it, my conversation with Victoria Brooks. You can check the show notes to get links to Victoria's Twitter, her Instagram, her website, her book, Fucking Law, the search for her sexual ethics, and more. So please be sure to check out the show notes for that. You can also find in the show notes links to my social media. I am at Dear Franny on Instagram and Facebook and all the places. And the podcast is at Dear Franny Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. I love hearing from you guys. Thank you for those ratings. Thank you for those reviews. If you have not yet taken the time to rate the podcast, you don't have to write any words, even though that's lovely when you do, you can just hit five stars. It's super easy. And I would appreciate you even more if you were to do that. So thank you. Thank you for listening. Wherever you are in the world, I don't take for granted that you are spending some of your precious time with me and I thank you for it. Oh, and big shout out to everyone listening in the UAE and the United Emirates. I noticed that we're on the chart. Dear Franny is on the charts in the UAE. So thank you. Welcome to the Dear Franny family. Happy to have you here. Okay, everyone. Have a beautiful day. Bye.